0: Well, good morning again. Go ahead and open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 12. Before the Lord was uh, betrayed, He was remembering a feast of the Jews, the Feast of Passover. That's okay, that's my son. Um, So what we're going to do is we're going to look at what the Passover represented, what the Lord is representing as the lamb that was slain. Uh, 1 Corinthians 5.7 says, For Christ, our Passover was sacrificed for us. So we're going to take a look at that. And before we do that, I do have a confession. Um, I've lied to many of you as of late. Um, many of you have asked why I was growing a beard, and I lied and said I planned on shaving it. Um, I actually don't plan on shaving it, until our next child is born in October. Yeah. So there will be another little praetor running around here and screaming in the back um, to, to keep Noah company. Uh, so if you could pray for us and the others that are... Uh, Jen, I'm surprised to see you here. Pray especially for Jen today. Uh, but we're here to uh, celebrate the resurrection of the Lord, so let's, let's go ahead and what we want to do today is kind of get our mind in this mindset of the passage to try to let the Scripture speak a little bit more to us maybe than it has in the past. Sometimes we just read the Bible and we just read it as uh, some story of something that happened, some historical account. But let's really try to put ourselves in the position of the children of Israel as we're going through this passage to see the effect. What God is trying to show by example in the Passover, and then we're also going to look at Mark 15, uh, the crucifixion and resurrection of the Lord in 16, to try to see what God pictured, what really took place, and what it means to us. Um, So let's go ahead and take a look. Israel has been in the land of Egypt for about 400 years. There is no scripture written, they have no uh, sacrificial system, there's no priesthood that all comes after all this. Uh, They've been there for 400 years, they have oral traditions of Abraham, of Isaac, of Jacob and of Joseph. Um, A ruler rose up in Egypt that knew not Joseph, as the Bible says, and the children of Israel were placed under a bond of slavery. So let's try to picture we are all slaves today. We are under a bondage, and we really have no idea how to get free from it. 400 years is a long time if you have trouble wrapping your mind around that. Uh, The United States was formed 240 years ago. Uh, The longest continuously inhabited city in the United States is St. Augustine, Florida, and that was in 1565, so that's 451 years ago. Uh, So a long time. Uh, we can kind of come to terms with those numbers. So 400 years, we're under slavery. We don't see an end to it. And all of a sudden, a man by the name of Moses, who was raised in Pharaoh's home, who was a Hebrew, comes back. He's been gone for 40 years. He comes back, and all of a sudden, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob starts doing these marvelous works and pronouncing judgments. We know them as plagues, but judgments on Egypt and the gods of Egypt. None of the which have affected us. It's, it's all been poured out upon the Egyptians here. Uh, so far, they've seen water turned to blood, uh, frogs taking over, lice, flies, disease of livestock, boils, hail, locusts, and a darkness that lasted three days. All of a sudden now, Moses goes before Pharaoh, and he tells them that the next plague, the next judgment will be uh, the last, and it's going to be the death of the firstborn in the land of Egypt. Uh, how many firstborns in the house today? Can we raise our hand, firstborns? Firstborns, okay. So our lives, guys, are on the line. Uh, we're the firstborns. Everybody else is saying, "Yeah, you know, what's the big deal? It's not too bad. That doesn't sound like too bad of a thing. Um, but for us, our lives are on the line. And for parents, if you have a child, for us, Noah is a firstborn. Uh, so, his life is on the line. Um, it's a very serious thing. Uh, we think of maybe a few generations in a household. Uh, someone is going to die in the house. So, this judgment is pronounced. And the reason why it is, we have in, um, it's actually in Exodus 11, verse 7. It says, um, But against none of the children of Israel shall a dog move its tongue against man or beast, that you may know that the Lord does make a difference between the Egyptians and Israel. So what we're going to find out in the Passover is what's the difference. What's the difference between the children of Israel and the Egyptians? Why is there going to be a death in all the homes of the firstborn of the Egyptians, but there's not going to be in the children of Israel a death of the firstborn? Uh, So let's look. Exodus chapter 12, begin reading in verse 1. It says, Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be your beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month every man shall take for himself a lamb according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of the persons, according to each man's need. You shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You may take it from the sheep, or from the goats. So we have an instruction given here. We, have, we hear there's going to be a death of the firstborn, but that there's going to be something we have to do to make sure that the death of our firstborn doesn't take place. We're going to have to get a lamb on the 10th day. We're going to have to examine this lamb, and we're going to have to make sure that this lamb is without blemish, without spot. It is a pure, healthy lamb of the first year. And we're going to have to observe it for four days before we kill it. Just something I wanted you to notice in verse 3, this progression, and I kind of think along it this way, since I'm a firstborn, it's a little bit more serious. Uh, Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth day of this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb, according to the household of his father, a lamb for a household. So we just have a lamb. For a younger sibling, this just, eh, just grab a lamb a lamb. It doesn't really matter which one. Um, My life's not on the line. He's just, it's just a lamb. And many people look at the Lord that way today. The Lord is just a savior. Uh, Christianity is just a religion. Uh, There's a number of religions out there. There's a number of ways out there. Uh, The Lord is just one of them. He's a way. So a lamb. Verse 4, and if the household is too small for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of persons, according to each man's need. You shall make your count for the lamb. So here we have the lamb. It's a little bit more serious, a little bit more specific. Uh, for us as parents of a firstborn, this is the lamb that's going to die in the place of my son. So my son doesn't have to die, the lamb is going to die. Um, some people look at the Lord that way too. It's just, it's the lamb. He's the Savior. He's the one that died. He is the Son of God. It is true. He died and paid for the sins of the world. He is the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Is that all it takes? We have here in verse 5, your Lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. Is the Lord Jesus Christ your Lamb, your Savior? It doesn't matter that you think all these historical facts are true. Is the Lord Jesus Christ your Savior? You see, for us that are the firstborn in this room, this lamb belongs to to me. He's my lamb. This lamb is going to take my place. He's going to die for me. The death angel is not going to come into the house because the lamb will die for me personally. So let's get our minds wrapped around that. We're going to look and notice that there's no distinction between the children of Israel on morality or sincerity of their faith or their good works or anything that they do. Death will come to every house in the land of Egypt, but God has made a way of salvation for the children of Israel that a lamb would die in their place that they wouldn't have to. We have here in verse 6, Now you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month, then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel, notice this, shall kill it at twilight, singular. And they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the house where they eat it. So we notice that the whole assembly is responsible for killing the lamb. We have in every indication that the lamb is referenced referenced as singular. The lamb, kill it. We have here a, a picture of Christ and that it was going to be one sacrifice for all. It wasn't a number of sacrifices, it was this one sacrifice that took place for all. We have here instruction. It's not the fact that the lamb died that was the difference. There's going to be lambs slain all over the place. The fact that if they just would have went and killed a bunch of lambs, that wouldn't have helped them in any way. It's how the blood was applied. There was specific instruction given. It wasn't just we can slay the lamb, we can eat the lamb, we can hang out inside the house. It was you had to take the hyssop and put it on the two doorposts and over the lintel. The blood had to be applied in order for this to be done right. Remember, our lives are on the line. We're going to do it right. Uh, We've seen God work miracle after miracle after miracle, things that nobody has ever seen before. We're going to get it right. We're going to take it seriously. We have no history with God before this. We don't know anything of the promises of God. We really don't really know what God is like other than what we see in creation. Um, We have some oral tradition that's been passed down. But what we've seen in this brief moment has convinced us that the word of God is something to be trusted And it's the only thing that we have. We have no other hope in anything else. So here we have this instruction given. The lamb is to be killed. The blood is to be taken. And it says in verse 8, Then they shall eat the flesh on that night roasted with fire, with unleavened bread, and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. Do not eat it raw nor boiled at all with water, but roast it in fire, its head with its legs and its entrails. You shall let none of it remain until morning, and what remains of it until morning you shall burn with fire. And thus you shall eat it with a belt on your waist, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. So you shall eat in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. The lamb had to be partaken of. The lamb not only had to be slain, the blood had to be applied, but the lamb was to be roast with fire and partaken of by each individual. It couldn't be boiled, and it couldn't be eaten raw. Uh, fire is always, as we see in the scripture, a picture of judgment. Uh, the sacrifice would have to be judged. The death is not simply just a death. It is a judgment that takes place and a death that is paid for you. The destroying angel was going to come and he was going to kill the firstborn. That's the judgment. We have here a picture of the Lord in that he was judged for our sin. A lot of times people think that the Lord simply came to convince us about a truth about God. Uh, The Lord came to accomplish a work. He came to save sinners. In order for that to take place, he had to be judged in a sinner's place. Um, there was a judgment pronounced. The wages of sin is death. We have all sinned. That's why we all die. The only one that death had no claim on was the Lord. The only one that went willingly to death and to judgment was the Lord. And we're celebrating him today because he is risen again. We have here in verse 12, really the statement and the promise Uh, We have here the difference between the Egyptians and the children of Israel. We have blood on the door. The only reason we know to put blood on the door is because God told us. The only reason we have hope that the blood will satisfy God's judgment is because God said so. He says, when I see the blood, I will pass over. We have no hope in anything else. This is all we got. So, what we're trying to figure out this morning is what the Lord was trying to show us in this Passover as the historical event that took place. We see that um, after this, in verses, uh, let's see, 29 and 30, if you want to look there, 29 and 30 of chapter 12, it says, It came to pass at midnight that the Lord struck all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of the livestock. So Pharaoh rose in the night, he, all his servants, and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where there was not one dead. So here we are, we're in our houses, the lamb has been slain, the blood has been put on, we're eating the lamb, and we are, we can't sleep, we're wired, we're afraid, we're trembling. Um, You know, my... Family, I'm the only big eater, so maybe I paired up. Uh, Rick, you're firstborn. Rick, I'll say. So Rick and Betty, we pair up. We're we're both firstborn, and I'm I'm kind of nervous still. I'm still shaking. We're in the house. The blood's on the door. The lamb's slain, but I'm still afraid. And I look at Rick, and Rick is calm. Rick is relaxed. He's enjoying the lamb. He's he's. And I say. Rick, how can you be so calm? And Rick simply says, the lamb's slain. The blood's on the door. We've done exactly what God has asked. Why would we have any reason to fear? Now Rick would say, but I would be afraid if I didn't believe the lamb was slain or I didn't think that the blood was on the door, then I would be afraid. So today, this morning, I can boldly stand before you all and say that I know I am saved. I know that the Lord Jesus Christ died for me. And I know when I die, I will see him face to face and I will be in heaven for all eternity. What's the difference between me and somebody who just believes all these facts about Jesus? The Egyptians knew everything that was going to take place. Moses went and proclaimed it to them. This is what's going to happen. And I can imagine that many of the Egyptians went before all of their many gods that they had and offered sacrifices and prayed prayers and tried to do everything they could do, barred the doors, whatever they could do to prevent this truth from taking place that death is coming to the firstborn. All the work in the world didn't stop the judgment of God. Nothing did. They knew it was coming. They knew when it was coming. And they didn't choose just to simply believe the word of God. They were going to fix it themselves. So this morning, has the blood been applied for you? The lamb has been slain, that's that's a fact, one that is undeniable today. The Lord Jesus Christ was crucified at Calvary. It's also a historical fact, as much as history uh, itself can be trusted, that Jesus Christ is risen again, that the tomb is empty. There's more evidence to prove that than there is to prove a great many things in history. So we're going to take it as historical fact. Jesus Christ is risen again. So what does that give us? Where does that leave us? What does that mean to us as an individual? Is the Lord Jesus Christ simply a Savior? Is he the Savior? Is he your Savior? Go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 15. Mark chapter 15, the Passover meal has been eaten, the Lord has been betrayed, he has been taken, he has been tried by the Sanhedrin, um, and he is now before Pontius Pilate. They are, Pontius Pilate is trying to do everything he can to get out of making a judgment on Jesus. There's many people in the world today that try to do everything they can to not make a judgment about Jesus. But we're going to see here that it's inevitable. Everyone chooses. So here, Pilate is trying his one last trick. He's going to, at this time of year, he always freed a prisoner. And so he is assuming that they're going to let Jesus go, and he's going to get off scot-free and not have to make a decision about Jesus. Uh, That is not the case. Uh, They cry out for a murderer named Barabbas. Uh, Many of us know the story, but... Uh, Barabbas is really one that could really say Jesus died for me he may not have known all that it meant but he knew what it meant simply that day so here we have in verse 12 Barabbas has been chosen and Pilate answered and said to them again what then do you want me to do with Jesus whom you call the king of the Jews so they cried out again crucify him Then Pilate said to them, Why, what evil has he done? But they cried out, All the more, crucify him. So Pilate, wanting to gratify the crowd, released Barabbas to them, and he delivered Jesus after he had scourged him to be crucified. We have here a question that Pilate asked that every single person has to ask, What will you do with Jesus? What do I do with Jesus, whom you call the King of the Jews? Many of us have already made a decision. Many of us have already received him. The blood has been applied, and we are redeemed. We have been purchased. There may be those here today that have not. Judgment is coming, as sure as it did for the children of Israel in Egypt and those Egyptians that lost their firstborn. Judgment is on its way. The word of God is the only promise that we can cling to, and the Lord's sacrifice, we'll see, is the only thing that's accepted in our place, the Passover lamb dying for us. Verse 16, then the soldiers led him away into the hall called Praetorium, and they called together the whole garrison, and they clothed him with purple. They twisted a crown of thorns, put it on his head, and began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews. Then they struck him on the head with the reed and spat on him, and bowing the knee, they worshipped him. And when they had mocked him, they took the purple off him, put his clothes on him, and led him out to crucify him." This is a group of people you find very uh, common in the world today. Uh, They just think it's great sport to blaspheme the name of Jesus. Uh, We have a a group in the Middle East that just thinks it's a great thing to kill Christians and to annihilate them. Uh, They thought that they were the ones with power at this point in time that uh, this man, Jesus, had no effect on their lives or let alone their souls for all eternity. Um, They were mistaken. And here they'll forever be memorialized as those that put their hands to the Son of God, the King of Glory. They were there because it was their job. They had to be there. We have here in verse 21, then they compelled a certain man, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, as he was coming out of the country and passing by uh, to bear his cross. And they brought him to the place Galgatha, which is translated place of a skull. Then they gave him wine, mingled with myrrh to drink, but he did not take it. And when they crucified him, they divided his garments, casting lots for them to determine what every man should take. Uh, Little did they know that they're fulfilling a thousand-year-old prophecy. Uh, I just counted briefly before I walked up here uh, 20 or 22 fulfilled prophecies just in this portion alone at a first glance. Uh, This is one of them. Some of these prophecies are over a thousand years old at this time that these people who have no knowledge of nothing are fulfilling. We have this man, Simon, who is just simply compelled to carry the cross for the Lord. He's come into town, maybe, during the Passover time. He shows up. There's a big thing going on. There's a man that is bloodied and beaten and being spit on, and he has a crown of thorns on his head, and this Roman soldier throws you in there and says, pick up the cross and carry it for him. Maybe you're here this morning because you were compelled to be here. I remember as a kid, uh, church wasn't always the funnest thing to do on Sunday, and there was a point in time where my mom and grandmother would have to compel me uh, to go to church. Maybe that's you this morning. You didn't come on your own, but you're compelled to be here. We have this idea here, the father of Alexander and Rufus, there's a number of people that are named in this portion. Uh, The Gospel of Mark, they assume, was written maybe 30 years after the death of Christ, 30 to 35 years, somewhere in that ballpark. Uh, So fairly recent. And uh, Mark may be mentioning these two young men because they were, in fact, known in the church, um, perhaps even in Rome. It's just speculation, but it seems interesting that you would put uh, not only the name of this man, Simon, but the name of his two sons that were there, you know, kind of what's the big deal. Unless people that were reading it would kind of go, wow, okay, I know that guy. Maybe I'll go ask him about it next time I talk to him. They brought, them to the, brought him to the place of the Golgotha, which is translated place of a skull. Uh, then they gave him wine mingled with myrrh to drink, but he did not take. This was a form of anesthetic uh, to calm the pain uh, that was going to take place. The Lord refused that. He was going to go in completely conscious of everything that was taking place. Um, For you and for me. Verse 25, now it was the third hour, and they crucified him, and the inscription of his accusation was written above the king of the Jews. With him they also crucified two robbers, one on his right and the other on his left. So the scripture was fulfilled, which says, and he was numbered with the transgressors. Those who passed by blasphemed him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha! You who destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. Likewise, the chief priests also mocking among themselves with the scribes said he saved others himself he cannot save. Let the Christ, the king of Israel, descend now from the cross that we may see and believe. Even those who were crucified with him reviled him. We have a statement made here. From the chief priests, let the Christ, the King of Israel, descend now from the cross that we may see and believe. Again, just a reminder, the Lord wasn't on the cross simply to convince us that he's the Son of God. The Lord is on the cross to pay the penalty for the sins of the world. He is the sacrifice that God has sent that will satisfy his wrath against sin. If he were to come down from the cross, he wouldn't be the son of God. And he wouldn't be fulfilling his purpose. What's interesting is these scribes feel like they are the most important people in the known universe. And we as individuals often have that same opinion of ourselves. Self-centered, self-important. And if Jesus really wants me to believe, then Jesus, come down and I'll believe. What's amazing is in three days from here, they know of a prophecy that he made that said he would rise again on the third day. And three days from now, these same priests and scribes, seeing an empty tomb and knowing the fact that he is risen, saw for themselves who this man Jesus was and still didn't believe. So their comment and people's comments, well, if you, if you would just show me, or if, I would just, if you could show me these facts, then I would believe. It's not. That's not how it works. The Lord says, believe and I'll show you. It's not, show me God and I'll believe. We have here really this idea. They don't know that they're making these really bold proclamation. He saved others himself he cannot save. That's true. That's true. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, they're making these attributions to him. Those are true too. The Christ, the King of Israel. Yet they don't wrap in their minds that they're the ones that hung him on this cross. They don't wrap into their minds what could happen if in fact he really is everything he says he is. We don't think that far ahead. Uh, for the children of Israel under the Passover lamb, when the Passover took place, that was real. Death was coming, and you know, we had to get it right. This is just simply the you know the most pivotal point in all of history, and they didn't recognize it. They, they didn't see it. We have here verse 33. Now when the sixth hour had come, there, were dark, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is translated, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of those who stood by when they heard that said, Look, he is calling for Elijah. Then someone ran and filled a sponge full of sour wine, put it on a reed, and offered it to him to drink, saying, Let him alone, let us see if Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus cried out with a loud voice and breathed his last. Then the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. So when the centurion stood opposite him, saw that he cried out like this and breathed his last, he said, Truly, this man was the Son of God. There were also four, also women looking on from afar. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the last and of Joseph, and Salome who also followed him and ministered to him when he was in Galilee, and many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem." We have here the judgment of God taking place. The Lord Jesus Christ crying out from the cross. Uh, We know that he said a few other things uh, recorded in different gospels. This is the one here recorded in Mark. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it says in verse 37, Jesus cried out with a loud voice and breathed his last. Crucifixion was the cruelest form of punishment that anyone could have imagined at the time. Uh, It was something really perfected by the Romans and it could have taken up to two days for somebody to die. And you died from asphyxiation, you suffocated. Uh, That might sound strange, but you're on a cross, you're spread out, all of your bones start coming out of joint, and there's a little prop for your feet at the bottom that you would have to pick your body up so that you could simply breathe. And what happens is over time you would wear out, the life would leave your body, and you would no longer be able to lift up your body to breathe, and you would suffocate and die. This would take a number of hours, and it was something that you just kind of passed out and died. Uh, None of that's recorded in any of the texts. That's simply just historical fact, how it happened. That's why they would, uh, instead of uh, leaving them up there for the preparation day, the Sabbath, uh, they would break the legs so that you would be incapable of lifting your body up to breathe, to speed up the death. When they got to the Lord, they realized and they were shocked that he was already dead. And what's interesting here is you have this man, another man who's there because it's his job, who has probably seen many crucifixions. Uh, Many people die, and it always happens the same way. They simply suffocate and die. Um, It doesn't happen this way. And we can see that it's unique from what this man says. When the centurion's who stood opposite him saw that he cried out like this and breathed his last he said truly this man was the Son of God there was something that this man saw in the way that Jesus died that made him think this man is being accused of a great many things this man has been hung on a cross and we all know that Pilate was trying to let him go They've seen trials take place, they know how the judicial system works. And they said, something seems off about this. And you see a picture of a man that cries out when he's supposed to be losing breath, crying out from the cross and giving up his own life. None of us have that kind of power. None of us have that kind of ability. And there was something so unique in it that this man said, truly, this man was the Son of God. Now, we don't know exactly what he meant by that. We don't know that uh, he meant anything like we mean it today. Um, But there was something in the way that he died that made him take a second look. I'd like to think that, uh, you know, Peter, a few years after this, runs into this man, preaches the gospel. This man gets saved, and it's like, I was there. You don't understand. I was there at the cross. I saw how he died, and it stuck with me. We have here, in verse 42, the preparation and the burial. Now, when evening had come, because it was the preparation day, that is, the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, prominent council member, who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, coming and taking courage, went into Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate marveled that he was already dead, and summoning the centurion, he asked him if he had been dead for some time. So when he found out from the centurion, he granted the body to Joseph. Then he bought fine linen, took him down and wrapped him in the linen, and he laid him in a tomb which had been hewn out of the rock and rolled a stone against the door of the tomb. And Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, observed where he was laid. Uh, We have here another example of historical fact that this man, Jesus, was dead. Uh, You have a, a centurion who comes in, who has seen hundreds of these takes place, has just pierced his side, and he tells Pilate, yeah, no, he's dead. And Pilate is shocked that it's happened so quickly. And to release a body, believe it or not, was not that normal. They didn't normally just release a body to somebody. They had a thing that they would just throw them in a pit, basically. But they didn't release this body. In this case, Pilate seemed to have made an, accept- an exception We have Joseph of Arimathea. We also know Nicodemus was there in the preparation where they would take about 70 pounds, 100 pounds of spices and wrap the Lord in these spices preparing him for the burial. It's not that they didn't believe he died. (laughs) All the things were done. I mean, he was wrapped up. He was laid in a tomb. The rock was rolled over and in their minds it was a done deal. Verse 1 of chapter 16. Now when the Sabbath was past, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, brought spices that they might come and anoint him. Very early in the morning, on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb, when the sun had risen, and they said among themselves, Who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, for it was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a long white robe, sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. But he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him, as he said to you. So they went out quickly and fled from the tomb, and they trembled and were amazed. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. They get there, and there is an empty tomb. When they look at where he's laid, we see in other Gospels that it is as if all the wrappings are still there and there's no body. It wasn't that the wrappings were undone or there's a mess everywhere. The wrappings were there and simply there's, there's no body there. And there's so much weight in all the spices that it simply just collapsed. And it talks about in John how the, the napkin was folded in, a, in another place neatly. So if he could come through all of these wrappings, why roll away the stone? Right. Who needed the stone rolled away? We needed the stone rolled away. We need to know that that tomb is empty. Because if that tomb is not empty, brothers and sisters, um, we have no hope, believe it or not. Jesus Christ came as that Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. We have observed him in the Gospels for a period of time. We have seen that he is holy and pure and without blemish, without spot. We have seen that he went to the cross willingly, that he was proclaimed innocent and yet judged anyway. We see that his blood was shed and for three dark hours he hung on the cross while the judgment of God was being poured out upon him. We see that he, in fact, did die. His body was buried and on the third day he rose again. Those are all facts, historical facts of what took place. Maybe you didn't realize this morning that he died for you. You are that picture of that firstborn in Egypt. You are the reason he came. And unless you take that blood and apply it to the doorpost, death will come to you. Judgment will come to you. But if you take that blood and you apply it to that doorpost, God says, when I see the blood, I will pass over. The only hope you have is in the word of God and trusting what the word of God says. All the morality, sincerity, prayers, good works you can muster will not stop the judgment from coming. God has provided one way of salvation for you. And that is through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. We have an empty tomb to know that, in fact, the work is finished, the work is complete. We have no need to worry. We can be like Rick and partake of this meal this afternoon with complete peace, knowing that the lamb has been slain, the blood has been applied, and we have the promise of God. If you do not know that you are saved, if you do not know, what it takes to apply that blood, it's not safe for you at all. Death can come at any moment. I was driving home yesterday, and my mom called me. There was an accident on Sultana coming up the street, and she just wanted to make sure that it wasn't us. Any moment, it could happen. You have an opportunity. You, in fact, know everything you need to know to be saved. If you believe, God will show you. If your attitude is, show me and then I'll believe, you'll be like those Pharisees that saw an empty tomb and chose not to believe. If you have any questions, please start asking. Please start seeking. The Lord Jesus Christ is risen. We have no need to fear. Let's go ahead and give thanks for the food next door. Our Heavenly Father, we do give you thanks this morning for the many pictures in the scripture that you have given us to know for sure that our sins are forgiven. Father, we pray for anyone that is here today that has not applied the blood to themselves, that indeed has not yet looked in faith to Christ to save them, has not received Christ as Savior. We lift them up. We pray that by your Holy Spirit you would convict them of sin of righteousness and judgment to come. And Father, we pray for a great time of fellowship as we rejoice in the fact that our Lord and Savior is risen and seated at your right hand. We look forward to the day when he will come again for us. We look forward to the day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to your glory, Father, and indeed when he will reign, for we know he is the only one worthy. We ask a blessing on this food, all the hands that prepared it. And Father, we pray that you would Bless all those that are under the sound of the gospel today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.